All right, as you're turning with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, I would ask you uh, this week to be keeping me in prayer at the uh, men's retreat next weekend. I'll be uh, speaking on the subject of suffering from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and uh, we just desire that God would accomplish what he desires to accomplish in that gathering together. So please pray that he would give me the words that he desires me to speak. Luke chapter 10, we come to the end of the chapter this morning, verses 38 to 42. Let me read them for you. Now, as they were traveling along, let me just step back. You'll remember what's going on here. Um, Overall picture, Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem. And as they're going to Jerusalem, they're going through the various towns and villages along the way, and they are uh, fulfilling their ministry as they go. And Luke is now recounting for us the various circumstances and situations that they meet along the way. With that in mind... As they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Mary was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So let's start with a question. What if you opened the door and found Jesus there? And Jesus wants to come in and spend some time with you. That's not as far-fetched as it seems. In fact, that's what happened to Mary and Martha one day. Our text tells us how they responded to this unexpected visit from the Son of God. Now, it seems that both Mary and Martha knew who Jesus were and were evidently glad to welcome him to their home. They would have been thrilled by this visit, even if he caught them completely by surprise, which it seems he did. You can't call ahead, say, you know, we'll be passing through. You mind if we stop by? We'd love to see you. You just show up. But they both loved him, and they're thrilled to have him stay with them. But even as we see what the sisters had in common in regard to Jesus, it soon becomes clear that the two sisters were quite different in their temperaments. Their ways of making Jesus feel at home could not have been more different. And of course, this results in a conflict. It helps us to know that this took place toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Remember, they're traveling to Jerusalem. What happens when they get to Jerusalem? 
Well, we come to the end of things. Eventually, Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. So we're heading that way. Mary and Martha are ministering to Christ in their home at a time when opposition to the ministry of Christ was exploding. It had built, if you read the Gospels, you understand this, through the three years of Jesus' ministry, it wasn't constant opposition. It built and it built and it built until you come to the climax of that opposition there in Jerusalem. But it's becoming very significant now. We saw that when we looked at this lawyer who came to Jesus seeking to test him, seeking to trap him. Well, Mary and Martha, along with their brother Lazarus, who isn't mentioned in this story, they lived in the village of Bethany, located on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. Jesus has now turned his face toward Jerusalem, and as he makes his way to Jerusalem, he's traveling, as we said, through these towns and villages which lie along the way. Now, as we mentioned in regard to the story of the Good Samaritan, things were much different in Jesus' day in regard to lodgings than they are in our own day, in spite of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, traveling was a risky venture. And when one was traveling, there was no guarantee that one would find an inn just when one needed an inn. And if one did find an inn, there was no guarantee even then that it would be a safe place to rest for the night. In Jesus' day, the safest place to stay was in the home of a friend. That's why it was considered culturally important to welcome strangers into one's home and to offer them food and, if necessary, a place to stay overnight. In later years, as the gospel is going out from Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the earth, this would become very important because those who were going to proclaim the gospel would come to various towns, they would seek out believers, and those believers in those towns would help them by providing them with food and a place to stay and helping them on their way. This is what John is referring to in his epistle, by the way, when he talks about those who come to the door and whether or not to provide them with hospitality. And John says, listen, if they don't come with our message, don't help them. Because you would only be helping false teachers. There are instructions in early Christian writings. If you've heard of something called the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve, one of the earliest Christian documents that we, we possess. And it as has instructions in that document concerning how one is to treat these itinerant preachers, these missionaries who come through. That if they do have the true message, the true gospel, put them up, but only for a few days. If they want to stay for more than three days, they're taking advantage of you. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're supposed to be out preaching. What are they doing staying in your house for so long? 
And so this was a very common kind of thing in the first century and became instrumental in the spread of the gospel later. So Martha and Mary are both loyal disciples of Jesus. They love him, and when he comes knocking on their door, they consider it a great honor to have Jesus stay with them, and they wanted to extend all the hospitality that they could offer. As Luke writes about this occasion, it's all very clear and straightforward. Jesus comes to the home, Martha reacts one way, Mary reacts another, and then Jesus comments on the difference. That's really all there is to it. It's not very complicated. There are no great you know, theological controversies entailed here. There are no you know, big exegetical issues that we have to work through. It's pretty much right there on its face. And yet, the story itself is one which has often frustrated people. It's another one of those stories about Jesus, which is very much like the stories told by Jesus. It's a story that takes a turn. You think you know how the story is going to go, and then it goes in a different direction. There are many, perhaps you are one, who respond to the story the way I once responded to the story of the prodigal son, which we'll come to in chapter 15. You'll remember when the prodigal son comes home after losing his inheritance and ending up eating out of a pig trough, the father rejoices. The father sees him coming and runs to greet him and then wants to kill the fatted calf and have a party. The older brother, however, who has remained home, serving his father faithfully all the time his wastrel brother was away, He's not so happy, and he lets Dad know it. Without going into detail, I always saw myself as the older brother. I was the good son. And it took me some time to understand what was going on in that parable, because every time I read it, and the older brother would have his say, I'm right there with him. Yeah. Of course he's right. He's the victim. And of course what I was really saying is that I'm right to feel that I've been treated unfairly. I'm the victim. Many face that same experience when we come to this story. One reads the story and we feel the urge to take sides to be almost irresistible. And initially, of course, one's sympathy is entirely with Martha. She's the victim. And as we place ourselves into the story, our first impulse, I think, is to see ourselves as Martha. It's tempting to see oneself as the hard worker, doing what needs to be done, taking care of everybody else while being overlooked and seemingly unappreciated. We want to be in that position. It's so noble and sacrificial. But one of the other things that it does in us is to cause resentment and bitterness to appear in our hearts. 
If that's where we start out, that's not where Luke leaves us. By the end of the story, we're faced with all kinds of questions about how we view ourselves and about our own personal preferences and priorities, about what it means to serve Christ, what that even looks like. So let's see if we can get to where Luke wants to take us. Verse 38 through 40 say this, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. So this first part of the story is all Martha. And that's where we need to begin, with a closer look at Martha. Here's my take on her personality. She has a big heart, and she is generous, and she is hospitable, and she is obviously very hardworking. She is a giver. She's one who knows how to do a lot of things at the same time. She's a multitasker, and she knows how to do them well. If she is demanding, she demands of others nothing more than she demands of herself. She is gifted and driven and demanding and capable of accomplishing a great deal. She is an admirable woman. Above all that, it's clear she loves the Lord. And she does what she does out of love and not obligation. She respects Jesus so much that without hesitation, she wants to honor him through the use of her gifts to prepare a meal in his honor. Her motives are pure even if her attitude needs a little fine-tuning. As Jesus comes in, Martha goes to the kitchen, begins preparing the meal, while Mary stays in the living room as Jesus speaks. And those are the details that Luke provides. Let me try to fill in the blanks, so to speak. I think we can assume that since he was teaching, his disciples were probably with him. So this may not have been just Jesus, but Jesus and 12 other guys who were probably all hungry. Martha immediately begins looking through the cupboards to find, figure out how she can feed all these people with what she has on hand. So far, so good. She has a servant's heart. She doesn't begrudge the time or the effort. It is a gift of love to Jesus. She's folding napkins into swans, she's basting the roast, she's making mashed potatoes, preparing the salad, arranging the dinner table with salad forks to the left of the dinner forks, I think, right? She even makes homemade pita, gets out the good olive oil for dipping, scoops some fruit and cream into those little dessert cups. It's a big job when it's on short notice. Meals don't cook themselves after all. Not everyone can sit in the living room listening to the guest of honor. Someone has to be in the kitchen or everyone will go hungry. Those are the thoughts that must have been going through Martha's mind. And it's at this point that the true difference between Martha and Mary comes into focus. Martha felt responsible to ensure that the meal was properly prepared and served. 
For whatever reason, Mary did not join her in the kitchen. Now, I want to imagine that it didn't begin that way. I want to imagine that this all began with Mary helping Martha, you know, do all that needed to be done. And then, you know, perhaps as Mary is out there in the dining room setting the table, she hears Jesus teaching and she gets so caught up with it that she goes and sits down at his feet and kind of unconsciously leaves Martha on her own. I want to think that's how it went, but that's not how Luke describes it. (laughs) He's actually quite specific. Martha welcomed Jesus, and when he came in and sat down, Mary immediately plops herself down at his feet, and that's where she stays. She made a choice right at the very beginning of the visit. She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, and as we know, This eventually got under Martha's skin. Not unfamiliar, is it? We experienced it in school when we were assigned group projects. We experience it at work, and like Martha, we experience it at home. We think we're involved in a partnership where another person is going to bear their fair share of the load, but then we discover that evidently, The other person wasn't thinking along those lines at all, and we're left to do all the work. Or you thought you were part of a team only to learn that you're not only the captain of the team, you are the whole team. In those circumstances, it's not unusual for resentment to bubble up. And that's what happens. When verse 40 says that Martha came up to Jesus, we kind of get the idea that, yeah, Martha was upset, but that she came in quietly and respectfully, asking Jesus to correct what she believed to be an unjust situation. Comes in, she just kind of stands on the edge of things, waiting for an opportunity, right? Jesus is teaching, after all. You don't want to interrupt Jesus. But that's not what happened. The translation, unfortunately, can't provide the full force of what was going on, but if you were reading this in the Greek as Luke wrote it, you would get a completely different picture. You would understand that instead of saying that Martha came up to him, What's really being communicated is that Martha exploded out of the kitchen. That's what was happening here. She couldn't take it anymore. And when she couldn't take it anymore, she marches up to Jesus, rolling pin in one hand, bowl of green beans in the other, says, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone, then tell her to help me. That phrase, don't you care, deserves some special attention. Sometimes words mean something different than their literal meaning. If someone says, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, that means they're going to interrupt you. 
That is what they mean to do. That's their intent. They say, I don't mean to contradict you. Get prepared. That's what they're going to do. When Martha says, Lord, don't you care? She really means, Lord, you don't care at all, and you should. Can you imagine going up to the Son of God and rebuking him for not caring? The last part of this comes from the second sentence, which Martha utters. Then tell her to help me. Then? There's a huge assumption in that word. And that assumption is stated in a cause and effect, if-then kind of formula. If you care, and you should, then tell her to help me. Now notice, there's a lot of criticism going on around here. She's both criticizing Jesus, and she's blaming her sister. It's almost like the garden. Lord, it's the woman that you gave me. Underneath this are Martha's real problems. Unrealistic expectations placed upon other people. Misplaced priorities. Misdirected anger. Martha's problem is that she doesn't think she has a problem. She thinks everyone else has a problem but her. As long as she could blame someone else, she didn't have to face what was in her heart. She is busy, but she's not blessed. Jesus has come to her home, but she is so stressed out that her joy in this visit has been replaced by frustration and anger. And oddly enough, her desire to serve Christ actually pulls her away from Christ. The good is crowding out the best. Now, what about Mary? Well, we've already seen in verse 39 that Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. We have no record of Mary ever saying anything. No record of a word in her own defense. When Martha explodes out of the kitchen, apparently Mary is silent. And that was probably for the best. I'm not sure Martha wanted to hear from her sister in that moment. Mary only appears for certain three times in the Gospels. Here, Luke chapter 11, or John chapter 11 forgive me, and John chapter 12. And there's an interesting similarity in all of those passages. Because in each of those passages, what is mentioned is that Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Mentioned three times, every occasion, she's at the feet of Jesus. We never see her anywhere else. In our text, she is at the feet of Jesus, listening to his 
words. He is utterly devoted to the Lord, wants nothing more than to be near him and to learn from him. And as I see Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus, questions arise from this account. And the first is this. Between Mary and Martha, who is the one serving the Lord? The answer is both. Martha is serving by preparing a meal. Mary is serving by listening quietly at his feet. But the second question is this. Who is in the better place at that moment? And the answer clearly is, Jesus confirms this, Mary. She's able to hear what her master says and is ready to respond at a moment's notice. Martha is so distracted, she hasn't heard a word that Jesus has said. She probably could have if she wanted to. You've got to assume this wasn't that big a house. Very often, these first century homes uh, had, as we call them today, open floor plans. It's just a big room. And the kitchen's over in that corner, and maybe a bed over in that corner. Maybe stairs up to the roof if you're doing well. But I can't see Martha going about her business, preparing this meal, while at the same time listening to Jesus. At first, she is so obsessed with all that needs to be done that she's not taking the time to listen. And eventually, she becomes so angry and resentful that she can't possibly hear what he's saying. The voice of Jesus is there, kind of in the background, but she's not hearing it. It's really so simple, isn't it, to sit at Jesus' feet? Anyone with a heart for Christ can sit at Jesus' feet. You may not be able to sing well, you may not be able to preach or, or teach, but you can still sit at Jesus' feet. If you don't have money, if you don't have an abundance of talent, you can still sit quietly at Jesus' feet. Anyone who wants to can do that. Anywhere, anytime. That's what Moses chose. That Moses. <laughs> That's what Mary chose to do. And Martha chose not to. Well, Jesus determined that Martha deserved an answer to her question. You find that in verses 41 and 42. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This is the part of the story that I love because you can hear the tenderness in Jesus' voice as he speaks to his frustrated servant. Martha, Martha. Contrast that with Martha. 
Martha's the one who has exploded out of the kitchen. And Jesus, obviously, knowing that a soft word turns away wrath, (laughs) does not respond to Martha with a raised voice. But just very quietly, Martha, Martha. As if to say, it's okay. Calm down. Everything's fine. He knows how she feels. He understands her frustration. Even as he reproves her, there is warmth and compassion in his voice. And in verse 40, we're told that Martha was distracted by many preparations that had to be made. Remember that. You see that in the first line of verse 40. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. The King James Version uses a great word to describe this distraction. It says that Martha was cumbered. It's an old word that is related to our modern word, encumbered. To be cumbered was to be heavily burdened, as if you were wearing a concrete jacket. The Greek word means a mind pulled in a thousand directions. One moment she's worried about the roast, and then the vegetables, and then the dinner rolls, and then she's wondering why Mary doesn't come to help her. And Jesus told her she was worried and bothered. And the word bothered means to cause trouble. To cause trouble. Tell someone, don't bother me. Why? Because they're causing trouble. You're a kid. You're in the back seat with your sibling and you're driving along and just, or they just put their finger right next to your face but don't actually touch you I have experience with this <laughs> say don't bother me and then your father says some other things which we won't go into it this is, this is what's going on. She's, she's going to speak her mind, Martha is, and spread the misery around. Why should I be the only one? Now, I want, you, I want to take you back up to, to verse 40 just to, one more time because there's something there that adds an important detail. It says in verse 40 that Martha was burdened by all the preparations that had to be made. The Greek word is dikonin. That's a very common word. It often means to serve at table. It's from the same family of words that is used to describe ministry. It's the same family of words used to speak of deacons which, of course, is a serving office as opposed to the eldership, which is a teaching and ruling office. 
And that's very important. Martha's ministry in preparing the meal was part of her service to the Lord. And yet those very preparations, the serving itself, had become a snare. Note the contrast in verses 41 and 42. Between many things and one thing. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Here's the heart of the problem. Martha was so pulled in every direction that she forgot why she was doing what she was doing. Jesus had come to her home that day. The many things had overwhelmed the one thing that really mattered which was Jesus. Many good things that occupy us can squeeze out the one thing that ought to be the center of our lives. How did it happen that Mary was in the better place? Verse 42. Only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't something that just happened. And it wasn't something that someone else forced. Mary chose the better part. Given the same opportunity that Martha had, Mary chose to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. It didn't happen by chance. And brothers and sisters, it never happens by chance. If you want the good part, if you want to be with Jesus, you've got to choose it. You choose to go there, or it will never happen. Mary did not know when or if Jesus would ever return to her home. She wanted to spend time with him while he was there. She knew there would always be other meals to prepare. But she might not ever have another chance to sit at the feet of Jesus in this way. Now, she will. But she doesn't know that. So she's willing to leave some things undone, if necessary, in order to be with Jesus. She is making a conscious choice. She's choosing the important over the urgent, the better over the good. And that's why the Lord commends her. This passage is not about cooking versus praying, or the active life versus a life of contemplation. It's about the divided life versus the focused life. A life that is pulled in every direction and a life that is focused upon Jesus and knowing him. Let me suggest what this means in a practical sense. There will always be work to do. The work set before us will never totally be done. We will work all our days and when we die, other people will carry on working when we're gone. We are right to work. Work is good. Work was decreed back in the garden before the fall. And God has given us work to do. But the work is not an end in itself. Not even work 
done for the Lord. Good work, righteous work, even preparing a meal for Jesus can become a distraction if we are not centered upon Jesus. Knowing Christ must come before serving Christ. Knowing Him must be our priority or we will end up with hearts full of resentment and bitterness. We will end up in frustration. That meal that Martha made was, I'm assuming, consumed. And then it was forgotten. How many meals do you remember? I can barely remember what I ate yesterday. Ask me about two days ago, unless it was something special, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it, but... The meal that Martha made was consumed and forgotten, but the meal that Jesus serves is that which lasts forever. He gives us a different kind of food, you see. Don't miss the one while you're preparing for the other. Must we then choose between Martha and Mary? I don't think so. Both have their strengths. Both have their weaknesses. If you were on a sinking ship with Mary, she'd say, I'll pray. Martha would say, I'll find the lifeboats. I'm going with Martha. But both are necessary. Maybe Mary will be praying as we're going to find the lifeboats. I love the final phrase of the text where Jesus declares that Mary has, what Mary has gained will not be taken away from her. What she gained, she would have forever. Did, did, did you see that the way that Jesus puts this? Right? It's one thing necessary. Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away. Can you imagine, after reading this account, Jesus responding to Martha by saying, all right, Mary, go help your sister. I can't imagine Jesus ever speaking to someone who has chosen to sit at his feet and telling them to leave, to do something else. As if there was something more important than sitting at his feet. There is not. When we understand that sitting at Jesus' feet is just one way of talking about knowing him, there is nothing more important than that. What Mary gained, she would have now forever. Meals come and go, but time with Jesus is yours forever. And I, I am sure Mary never forgot this Amazing day when Jesus came into her home and she sat at his feet, drinking in every word that he spoke. In the end, this story is about the danger of distraction. And it's not about the danger of being distracted by stupid things. It's about the danger of being distracted by good things, profitable things. 
But the one thing that we need, above all else, is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that will not happen by accident. And others will not always understand, including those who love us, those whom we love, our own family, perhaps. Martha didn't get it. Hopefully she got it after Jesus spoke to her. But originally she didn't get it. Now, what about the meal? Someone has to go into the kitchen sometime. But was there something else that Martha could have done? When I was in seminary some 35 years ago, I heard Haddon Robinson, then our seminary president, preach on this passage. And still, 35 years later, I remember something he said, which I find amazing. It is like the dream of every preacher. That decades down the road, someone's going to come back to you and say, you know, I remember what you said 50 years ago. He said, to paraphrase, that if something is worth doing, it's worth doing simply. Martha didn't have to make a 10-course meal. She could have prepared something very simple, which wouldn't have taken so much time. Then she could have joined Mary there at the feet of Jesus. Another thing she could have done was to rejoice in the fact that her sister had such a wonderful opportunity and that she had the privilege of preparing a meal for the Son of God. Martha wanted Mary to be like her. Jesus disagreed. But did you notice that he also didn't tell Martha to be like Mary? He simply commended Mary for choosing the better part that day. Martha would always be Martha. And that's fine. That's good. That's how God designed her. She couldn't and shouldn't be anything else. But her attitude under pressure was wrong. And Jesus confronted her about that and corrected her. God doesn't want everybody to be clones of one another. He has made us as individuals. And as individuals, we come together in the body of Christ and we serve God in different ways. But there's always that best thing. And we have got to figure out how to be who we are without being drawn into the attitudes that will keep us from knowing Jesus even as we serve him. One thing is needful, to sit at Jesus' feet. We must not let the good crowd out the best. And we must not let our heart be adversely affected by the fact that other people are not just like us. In fact, you know what? That's a glorious thing. When we stand before the throne of God shoulder to shoulder with all our brothers and sisters from every age, 
and every place around the world, it is going to be glorious. We don't have to be all the same because God didn't make us all the same. But he does want us to do this best thing. No, Jesus. No, Jesus. Father, thank you. We thank you, Father, not only for this example that we are given, the example of Martha in a a negative sense, the example of Mary in a positive sense. We're grateful, Father, that even in this passage, the gospel is here. We are not saved by doing, not even by the doing of good deeds, not even by righteous service that purports to be done in Jesus' name. We are saved by your grace. Father, help us to find a place to sit quietly at the feet of Jesus that we may know him. 